He got that Eric Gussie. Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Red Team Reviews Podcast. I, the voice you're currently listening to, am the voice of TJ Patrick, joined by the Frodo to my golem. Trevor Catalano, whoa, okay, all right. <laughs> and Shots all that that completely <laughs> Does that make our guest Samwise Gamgee? Um, I'm sure she would I love that. I certainly hope so. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, way to flatter, way to flatter. Um, yeah, so we Wait, are on. Oh, maybe I'm the sa- with how bloodthirsty Sam is in this movie. Maybe I'm the Sam to your Frodo after all. <laughs> in this movie? I mean, would I would I deny that I am, you know, between the two of us, sometimes more of the protagonist? And also that if I brought someone if I brought someone along for the ride that was bothering you, would you want to kill them? Probably. Um, <laughs> oh, that's probably this true. This would be in reference to that tournament we just did. Uh, t- anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, th- today we are on, uh, pa- uh, could you call it part two, book two, movie yes, two we can of our Lord of the Rings coverage. Um <laughs> Where we're talking about, see, you know, be someone who grew up out in a post 9-11 world, my brain always wants to call this the Twin Towers instead of Ditto. the Two Towers. Um, yep. It was written well before that time. Um, but yeah, the Two Towers are, is what we're going to cover today. Um, I, I personally am through all three movies at this point with all my notes ready to record. I know TJ has had to get through it because TJ can't get through things that are three hours. You, you um, remember you remember that very specific moment in, uh, I believe it's the Pretty Patties episode of SpongeBob SquarePants where that guy <laughs> is like crawling, dragging himself to the Krusty Krab and he's like, oh, please help me I'm so weak that was me finishing this movie (laughs) (laughs) but anyway all that is to say we're on part two and per what we said last week we're gonna have guests for all these episodes we got our friends who like like lord of the rings uh very very much and in our in our particular fashion we've only ever had one other man on this episode and it was kari in last june um oh yeah uh, so (laughs) i know right it's odd um but also (laughs) speaking of that same episode from last june it's the return of Ginny lee house hello 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 (laughs) she's back I miss Kari. I feel like Kari would have a lot of wonderful things to say about Lord of the Rings. I don't even know if Kari (laughs) likes Lord of the Rings, but yeah, that's an oversight on our part um, (laughs) to not bring Kari. I know it could have been like. I want to bring him on eat less, especially if he does not care about the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Yes, especially for like a director's cut of Return of the King. (laughs) That would be incredible. I mean, if our other guest falls through, that's not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> and I actually, you know what? I want him to not watch the movie. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll just describe what happens to him and show him stills. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Jenny, for anybody who's like, never... Everyone is greasy. <laughs> Jenny, for people who uh, didn't listen to the uh, the Pride episode last year... Do you want to say any little things about yourself? 
Um, well, hi, I'm Jenny. Uh, I'm a friend of the pod. Um, and yeah, I live here in New York and I'm a student and a writer and a big Lord of the Rings mega fan. Uh, since yeah. childhood. So tell us yeah. about that because we did ours last episode. So you're going to do uh, it all alone. All alone. Like Frodo. Um, he's but, not alone. Uh, yeah, you're I, not alone, Mr. Frodo. He's not alone. He has Sam. My Sam. Uh, I like just watched the, the movie. I like watched it. I literally finished it and got on this. So I'm like very fresh on Good. the two towers. Same. Um, so yeah, I grew up watching them. I have an older brother and he is a massive, massive fan of medieval history and history in general. He got me into the books. Uh, we had like toy versions of Sting and Aragorn's sword that would like light up with like the Elvish and we'd like play all the games. Like we would, it, it was just a very fond memory of that. And then I guess as I got older, I just really fell in love with the world building. I think it's kind of like unmet, like you cannot compare it really to like your Harry Potters or things like that. Cause it's just like so much more rich in my personal opinion. Definitely can't compare it to Harry Potter. Well, the thing is that th- <laughs> the thing about comparing it to Harry Potter is that like, she stole so much shit from this and that's not, not to say stealing, but like, there's yeah. so many things that no, I was no, just we like. Could, we could say stealing. <laughs> for, we don't like her anymore. For Joanne, we yeah, we can say stealing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so much stuff that it's just like, okay, cool. That's a basic fantasy thing that Tolkien yeah. did. And I'm going to take that. My spiders are also going to be big, um, which is not this movie, but I will <laughs> oh, talk yeah, the about big that spiders, later. Yeah. Shalom. I know, she's coming. She's coming at the. Yeah, she's great. But. Yeah, I, I just love them. I am obsessed with the characters. I think it's just a really rich and beautiful piece of work, especially because it's like, I think that I personally like the movie adaptations more than the books because the books kind of read like textbooks because Tolkien was a was a historian and a linguist. And so like, I think Peter Jackson is problematic as a lot of parts of this movie are, especially rewatching this one um and the next one especially too with the like elephants and all of that imperialist stuff i'm sure we're gonna get into but i still think that it's just like really fun and it's just beautifully done and i just it makes me feel so warm it comes it feels like coming home i watch it at least once a year the whole series so Mm. yeah Yeah, that's, Uh, that's that's me favorite characters well i'm like i i think on my instagram still if not, it's hashtag Hobbit life. I like completely self-subscribe as a Hobbit. I recently named my new Animal Crossing Island the Shire. I I love all of the Hobbits with all my heart, um, especially Mary and especially Sam. I just, I think they have such like a fun little heart and they're just very interesting. And I love all of the little like awful characters like Grima in this one is just like, incredible like he's so horrible and weaselly but he's just like so much fun to watch and obviously like Gollum Smeagol is just the best like my favorite part of one of my favorite parts of the entire series is Gollum's juicy sweet song oh yeah to catch a fish (laughs) so juicy sweet it's like the best thing my boyfriend and I were watching it this afternoon and he was like shh 
we have to hear this song. We have to hear this song. <laughs> Rock is cool. So nice and cool. It's great. And just all of it. I love all of the background. I've like watched all of the videos of how they made it. Like Helm's Deep is like incredible to know how like they filmed it. And ah, it, it's just like, it's just so fun. It's like this weird summer camp that all these incredible actors went to for four years. Um, or more than that in New Zealand. It's just like really, I wish I could have been a part of that. It's, it's just really cool. And the last thing before we like get into it, which is your favorite? We asked you to do Towers because it just worked out for schedule. But which is your favorite of the three? Um, Honestly, it's between Towers and Fellowship. Okay. I love all of them, but I love Towers because of how crazy the tonal like dissonance is between scenes. <laughs> love that. I love it so much. Like there's Absolutely. so there's so much like absurd like comedy. It's just incredible. I think the second one has so much stuff going on. But the first will always be like one of my favorites because as a kid, I think that's the one I watched over and over again. Um and I just love everything again with the Shire. And I think the first one obviously shows the Shire the most because it's like before they embark on their adventure. So, yeah, I guess that's my answer. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about the two towers. And it might be because of what you said, Jenny, because of the wide tonal shifts. Like, I'm here for getting us from where Fellowship left off to where Return of the King starts. But I really don't know how I feel about this movie. Not I, And it's it may just be that I am not particularly negative about it, but it's this one's definitely not my favorite of all of them. Um, but it is surprisingly the one I've seen the most. Really? Yeah. Why I, is I, that, do you think? <laughs> I told, well, no, I told TJ and our guest Kat last week that I, and I'm realizing that my friends watched Lord of the Rings wrong. Um, they, uh, over Easter in college, for those of us who like stuck around, um, they would make a really big feast and would sit down and watch all day, watch Lord of the Rings. But what they did was they would skip the, the Hobbit scenes because they only really, I know. Yeah. Yeah. See, so it's an audio medium, but Ginny's face, um, but <laughs> they would skip the Hobbit scenes because they wanted to just watch Full the battles tucks. and just watch the trio. And I, and so like, I, that was like my second education in the Lord of the Rings before I finally like solidified it after college. And like, now I'm looking back and I'm just like, God, Helm's Deep is one of the things that I skipped the most through because of battle fatigue. Battle fatigue is huge. Like Peter Jackson talked about this when making the movies. He's just like, yeah, yeah you know what? Like these battles are long and like, you got to make sure that the audience is not getting tired throughout that by like changing up what's happening in the battle, but also cutting away from it. And I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely true because I do get battle fatigue with these yeah. movies. Um, but I think that the only one that I really, really get fatigued on is Helm's Deep. Like I don't feel the same way about Minas Tirith in Return of the King. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because it's like closer to the end of everything, but like Helm's Deep is really, uh, like you gotta, I had to, I had to pause the movie, go do something and then start Helm's Deep because it was its own thing. TJ talked last time about how like this show, the, the irony is that like this was not made in a time where you could just make a TV show of this caliber. You had to make a movie. 
And nowadays it's like, no, if you made this today, it would absolutely be a series. It would absolutely be a series. They would not leave a single shred out. Um, we didn't even watch the extended editions. And actually that tripped me up because I remember things from the extended edition. I was just like, oh, wait, I was going to talk about that. Where Where is it? And I was like, it's not in this one. Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I don't disagree. I, I think I I think that the battle choreography, I guess, is the only way I could think of it, uh, is really well done in all of the movies in a way that I don't get fatigued like I do watching, like, a Michael Bay film, where it's just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, Lord of the Rings is one of the only films that, and maybe it's just I'm emotionally invested in the characters, but Helm's Deep specifically, the whole movie is, like, Greek-esque tragedy. Like, you know they're going to fail or the assumption is they're going to fail. Like, Theoden is making a mistake and they know this and he knows this. So I think the thing with Helm's Deep that's so powerful is that you're watching these people, like, you're watching their doom. And then, like, of course, it gets, like, 180'd and Amir's there and, like, the best shot ever where they're, like, running down this, like, insane hill. As a kid, I was like, what? But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, I, I, I just love it. I just think it's like very well spaced and yeah, it is kind of like, it's a weird film. And I think that's why I like it. It's like how, if we talk about Harry Potter for 0.2 seconds, my, one of my favorite Harry Potter films is uh, seven part one, because it's like a character building film. It's like slow and very character driven. It's complicated. It's messy. And I think that's why I like Two Towers so much is because it's getting all of the like things in place, but it also is like still can hold on its own in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I just, I, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's just a weird one. Like the ends, like the ends are the best thing. They're like one of the best parts of the oh, entire Oh, we'll, we'll talk universe. about the ends because I am, I am <laughs> so for the ends. Um, so well, what's, <laughs> what's crazy about this though, is that like, I get what you're saying, and, but like, when you really look at it, there's three plots. There's the salmon in this one, there's the salmon Frodo plot, there's the Marion Pippin plot, and then there's the trio plot and you add new characters along the way. And there's even more plots in return of the King. And yet I don't feel the same way. I don't, I don't feel the three pieces hopping between one another in the like I feel that here in the way that I don't feel even more plots hopping between each other in Return of the King um and maybe that's sure. because there are only three so they get to really be their own like significant chunks throughout the movie where it's like we are going to spend this much time with Merry and Pippin and then we're going to move on and we're going to spend this yeah. much time with the trio and then we're going to move on um, and maybe the other ones feel a little bit more like windy twiny in a way. I don't know. Um, but I feel like we should start talking about the movie, right? TJ. Are we, are we not? Yeah. But um, like the, the stepping through our notes is what I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good idea. Well, sure. <laughs> so the, we start off two towers with a very strong previously on Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> with, with, with the entire "you shall not pass" sequence and Gandalf uh, being shouted by Frodo in slow motion, um, and then what is probably one of the fan favorite sequences, which is Gandalf fighting the Balrog, um, or at least one portion Incredible. of Gandalf fighting the Balrog, because um, we revisit it later when he tells the story. Um, but 
the only note I have here is that I just, I really love, it's at the very end of the sequence and it's just the widest fucking shot of them descending yes, down I- and just the single ball of fire of both of them down the center. Um, I'm just like, okay, what? yes. No, all right, you got me hype. I'm ready for this movie. I was going to say the exact same thing. That's like the, every time I get chills, that moment of just the, it's just It's so- just... Yeah, here's this might be if my summary of the last one was like, this is the vast variety of what heroes look like. I think this I think my summation of this movie is going to be, look, it's just good fantasy. (laughs) Like the elements of the the elements of this film. It's just just good fantasy. The the fight with the Balrog, the Ents, like we'll, we'll talk about it as we go. But it's like, yeah, no, that's what you want. You want the wizard in the epic battle with fire and brimstone against the giant monster. It's just good fantasy. Um, yeah, especially so, yeah. with the script too. Like the dialogue in this one is just like all all the movies, but it's just so incredible. Like, I mean, line after line well, after line. We'll we'll get to elf eyes, but you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you mean Legolas, the exposition elf? <laughs> yes. What do you see with your elf eyes? They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. So many. Isengard. There are a lot of. We, we, I thought we had memes in the last one, but we got even more memes in this one. Um, but yeah, so so we we do we we go straight from that to the hobbits, correct? Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to remember. It, like so much has happened since I watched since I watched this on Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, so we go straight to the hobbits and they have this whole sequence where we're kind of getting to know where they're at and how they're on their own. Now they're not with the fellowship. And I just want to make a note where it's like, am I the only one who feels like the walking in circles as a plot point is boring and not engaging? No, No. I'm more so you disagree. You think (laughs) you think walking in circles is engaging. I think the way that it's delivered is, I think it's supposed to continue to be talking about like their relationship and Frodo's relationship with the ring and this growing frustration. Like, I think you need to show that for the audience to understand, like, they're not just like going on a hike, like it's getting worse and worse. And then it also elicits like why Smeagol comes into the play. Like they need him. It adds the other element of like, unfortunately they need him to help them or else they're going to be completely lost is my take. I just found it interesting because they can see Mordor. <laughs> so I'm like, how are you going in circle? <laughs> <laughs> no, but here's my thing. Here's my thing is that like anytime I am watching a film and the plot point at the moment is where we're going in circles. Obviously, I know that there's something that's going to then come about that's going to get them to not be going in circles. But I'm like, the amount of time, because this movie is long, that they spend on them going in circles was frustrating it's to like me. It's like 10 it's just, minutes or less. <laughs> okay, it's still 10 minutes. It's still <laughs> 10 minutes. I There's one thing. It's one thing to have a Scooby-Doo montage where everybody's going in different doors and we don't know where we're, we're confusing ourselves. It's another thing to spend 10 minutes very slowly walking and then realizing you're going in circles. I just, well, I I was annoyed. Welcome um, to like any movie. I don't know. I've been watching so many movies recently for school and just in general where the entire plot point. I watched like Chinatown for the first time recently 
the entirety of that movie is just Jack Nicholson walking in silence. And like, what is the point? You know what I mean? Like, that's that was my take on Chinatown was like, yeah. Excellent. I have new ways to torture TJ. Um, I've seen Chinatown. Oh, okay. I haven't. I'm the only one then. Um, Yeah. Oh, the, oh, because I was gonna make a joke, but it's technically a spoiler, so I won't make that joke then. <laughs> You're fine. I, when am I gonna watch? Am I gonna remember? Like, yeah, this will be recorded, but I, I will listen to it once and I'll put it up and then I'll forget it. So just spoil. Yeah, it. Any of the spoilers in Chinatown are like pretty memorable spoilers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, all right, fine. It's like, it's wait, like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> <laughs> just spoil it. Also, half of this movie is also showing the majesty of. New Zealand and this part is just showing their weird rocky terrain so well it's funny because like two two things later there there is just just as long as the tracking scene where where Aragorn is is tracking them um Ear and just the trio the running ground. through the fields aerial shots of the trio running through the fields and they're all running in their own ways and I guarantee those actors were like I feel so fucking cool right now and that just reminded me of me playing like middle earth related like role playing uh, running around the fields with fake swords games with my friends. And I just yeah. put a little smile next to that. I was just like, okay, no, I get it. I, like I, I, I dunk on my friends for skipping the Sam and Frodo moments, but like, okay, but this is nice. The three of them together is good. And we get the, uh, we get the classic line. We dwarves are natural sprinters, quite dangerous over short distances. Yes. Um, <laughs> Gimli, Gimli is Gimli at his best in this movie. You think? <sighs> Tell us what you really think, TJ. <laughs> Deep beleaguered sigh. <laughs> okay, you haven't given a real note. I've really been running these notes, so that's that's concerning TJ me. TJ took no notes on this really? movie because he's literally said out loud what is the actual fucking point. <laughs> uh... Because, look, a lot of my notes are either the exact same thing I already said in the previous episode, or they're just things to just comment on when you guys bring them up. So I'm like, all right, well then, yeah, I don't, (laughs) I have no essays to write in these notes. Like, they're just little comments here and there. Like, I think it's been said, I'm not original in this thought, that just like, okay, yeah, I get that Gimli's like the comic relief, but like, damn, holy shit. Like, literally, he well, is just here to be funny. <laughs> no, but he's valuable in battle. I think that's what's yeah, one of the best parts. Yeah. What do you mean, when? There's when. an entire sequence where he and Aragorn are basically taking out everyone on a tiny little bridge. Don't even get me. Yes. Don't even look. Toss me. Don't even. Toss let's me. not pull at the thread of believability of parts in Helm's Deep. <laughs> he is a dwarf. Ooh, okay. These are not humans, okay? You are dealing with non-human folk. Any users. Also, it's fantasy, TJ. When people start bringing out freaking believability in this Lord of the Rings Look. house or in any fantasy house, I call that complete baloney. I just am like, it's a musical. It's a... Wait, Quick aside, my granddad with my grandma or with my granddad with my mom, she saw the movie Hello Dolly when she was a kid. And in the movie, there's a part where all of the waiters are dancing and they're like moving all of their trays around and the food stays on the plate. And my mom with as a kid asked my grandfather, like, how is that happening? Like, what, what, like that can't, that can't really happen. And he just gave a beleaguered sigh and he said, it's a musical. And we have used that in 
our lives for everything for fantasy or for freaking Michael Bay films or whatever the like, like it's a movie. You're supposed to be entertained. Like if you spend the entire time nitpicking on re- reality of it, then like, I don't know. But that's just my, my opinion. Like, it's like not, have fun. Like, it's not like me pulling at the thread of, you know, like a soft magic system, like the force, because I do that enough on this podcast. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's just me going like, I can see with my eyes that there's like <laughs> over a hundred of these Urukai, like right there, and they just for some reason just cannot. They just cannot leapfrog over this dwarf and punch Aragorn in the face. Well, <laughs> that's that's called main. That's like. I wouldn't call that plot armor, but that's like that's main character armor. Of course, it's gonna yeah. happen. That's like that the way. Arkham City thing um, when you, uh, when all the goons you like wait their turn to be punched by Batman. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is 2002. Also, like, there's always yes. going to be main character armor. Like, this is a pre Game of Thrones fantasy world. Um, so it's also like, yeah, yeah, you know, you go ahead, Trevor. <laughs> No, well, I was going to say, and I already I already poked a hole in in the soft magic of Lord of the Rings in the last one, which gets it, it gets less so over the course of the series. But when Saruman can summon an avalanche from halfway across the world, I'm like, OK, no, 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 no. That's annoying. <laughs> um, but no, that's less that's less so in this. I mean, I I think elf eyes are pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I think. Yeah. So like this was the first time that I. I'm going to be honest, it's the first time that I, like, really started struggling with the elf communication. So is that what it is, too? Like, I was watching with my boyfriend. He was like, oh, so she came and, like, so, like, Arwen came and saved Aragorn when she kissed him? And I was like, no, he's, like, hallucinating or dreaming, I think. And then he's like, no, I think he's actually maybe there. She saved him, question mark? And I was like, I do not know. And then you have, like, Galadriel speaking to... Oh gosh, Arwen's dad. Elrond. And I was like, are they Elrond. Elrond? So they're speaking to each other right now? Is that what actually is happening? I think I just always was just like, I don't know what I was thinking of how that communication happened, but this is the first time that I was like, what? How are you? Uh, Jenny, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Um, if anyone was going to know, it was going to be you. So <laughs> we are in trouble, folks. Well, no, it's just like <laughs> I'll be honest. I'll be really honest in terms of like I did a little just because I was it was uh, you know after a long day it was the first day of my cell phone just going completely kaput when I watched this one and so I was like all right I know the basic elements of this movie I know stuff that I just won't have any comments on and I also know the stuff that like is just long series of visuals. So those are the points where I'm just like, I'm going to save myself some time and get to bed and do a little skippy skip. And, uh, and that, the, like the scenes where the elves with Arwen and stuff, I very much was like, oh, okay. All right. Either I'm going to look, I'm either, I'm going to look away or go do the dishes at this point, or I'm just going to give a little skippy skip. Um, because so well, that's the thing. Incredible. That's the thing is that like, as in a, it's it's funny you brought that up because I did have an I didn't make a note of it but I did have a thought where I was just like yeah damn with the exception of Helm's Deep in this the elves don't do shit in these movies like Legolas is the only one who does anything in terms of like elf contribution. I mean, don't the dwarves do even less? Yeah, the dwarves and the dwarves well, do even the less, are dead. which is so crazy to me that like they both play such a huge part in uh, the Hobbit. As well, because the, they're the, dead. the book and the movies. 
There's not any more. No, tours. they're not. Yes, there are. Did you see the first movie? Gimli, last of his kind. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, seriously? They, they literally oh, go into the Wait, area and it's like, oh, Lord, shit. Why oh, are all I'm... the dwarves dead? Because I forget who killed them, but they I think they were killed by goblins or such. They like The whole area, they went there to be safe, and Gimli was like, we can go yeah, to the mountains yeah. this way. And they're yeah, dead. Yeah, Moria, I know. But Gimli, I thought, was from, like, the Lonely Mountain from The Hobbit. So where did all them go? Where is Thorin? Where are the... Well, no, Thorin died. Um, but where, where, where is Gloin? This is also, like, years later. This is, what, 60 years after The Hobbit took place? Where's Keely and Feely? Where are they? Dead. Um, I don't know. Nobody needs Keely to come back. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even see the Hobbit, and I can Evangeline make that joke. Lily, Evangeline Lilly does. Why does um, it hurt so much? Because it was real. Because it was real. Wow, this is something I got. Congratulations, listeners! I learned something on this podcast, which is that there are no dwarves left. Um, like, don't which... quote me on that. I'm not like a Tolkien historian. <laughs> like, I just am a big movie fanatic. But that's like my gathering is that they're all dead, and all of the elves as well. I think yeah, they're just fucking off. The elves are fucking off of middle, fucking off of Middle Earth. But then they don't to go fuck be immortal off. elsewhere. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Some of them don't. Yeah, noto- very notably, the some elves of them. are not a monolith, and neither are the humans. No, it's like the it's like the elves, the elves of like Rivendell and and that area are all fucking off. But I I mean I believe all the elves that come to aid them, the elves from the forest, are the ones that are st- that stick around. Um, yeah. Like what else? Which is always funny because it's it's also one of those things where it's like under Tolkien lore, like under Lord of the Rings or under Lord of the Rings lore, if if the if the what is his face from the Hobbit is Legolas's dad, that makes them like though like if Elrond is like the wasps, like Legolas's elves are like country elves, which I always find hilarious to think about. Um the way that the wood elves are completely different. Um, yeah. At least as far as I understand. I, I would really, you know what? I almost want to just Would you say that completely... Galadriel is a country bumpkin? Is that what you're... No, 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 no. no. I don't think that that's... Because, no, they're, are they related? You know what? I'm starting to sound like... Yes, Galadriel is the queen of the woodland elves. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, you know what? I'm going to shut up. Uh, I don't <laughs> know as much as I think I know. <laughs> again i think i said this last episode because of the structure of the of fellowship of the ring that was a moment where i was like okay cool the third time someone takes the ring tries to take the ring from frodo in this movie okay we're gonna move on out um so <laughs> again i skip over elves shit i don't know why i do it but i just i tune it out it's the most maybe melodramatic shit in the movies which is i incredible. don't care about that i love it I don't it's really just, care about the melodrama. A, I think it's a pacing thing because melodrama has a very specific pacing. And then when you're already in a three hour movie with all these action scenes that do go on quite a bit and then Treebeard's doing his like fifth speech that do- doesn't really <laughs> go anywhere. And also you got Frodo and Sam having their thing with Gollum slash Smeagol. It's like then we have to kind of stop everything and have a little soap opera. And I'm just like... No. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. No. I, yeah. It'll come and we're into play in the third. I think a lot of the second is definitely building up, but I think, yeah. Also, they don't really say new shit. Like, they went over this in the first movie. 
Yeah. Like, I they have established that, like, yes, it is the whole, you're immortal, he's immortal, what are you going to do when he dies? She says, I don't care. They take her agency away from her and go, well, we're going to make this decision for you and make him break up with you. And then she acts like she's going to go with her people. And then... Like, it's just, but all of that has already been, except for that literal last part, all of this has already been established. Yeah. All of it has already been talked about already in the first movie. And then we have Elrond and Arwen, who have nothing to do with this plot, just rehashing this just to set up Arwen shit in the next movie because it's important there, but not really here. Because, and I, I, I have to stop myself physically because if I keep going, I'm going to talk about one of my biggest gripes with the movie and we're not there yet. So, okay. Ah! We should, we should get back to the, we should get back to the plot. (laughs) Yeah. What you said makes sense though, TJ. I I see you and I hear you. (laughs) I feel seen and heard. So, so they were, they were taking the hobbits to Isengard. And again, there's just a lot of like jumping back and forth here. I forget like, so I'm I'm just trying to like make sense of where we're at. So please cut this part. Okay. Um, so do you want me to? Because my next note. Well, <laughs> no, my next note happened. is that like looking at looking at how much of Isengard is torn down from war materials, and I'm like, but wait, that wasn't then. That was later. What? What's going on? Well, um, you get the whole story of what's happening in Rohan and how Grima okay. Then we're just gonna a spell and Aemir getting banished. From Rohan, that all happens, and then uh, can it I just say, back. yeah? Can I just say I've always hated Carl Urban's wig. Um, Amor's <laughs> <laughs> like wig bothers the, the fuck out of me because it's more just, so than Eowyn's accent. Yes, and here's why. Because people speak in all sorts of ways. The hobbits don't even have a consistent accent. You know, like Pippin is Scottish and it's a whole, and Frodo, clearly, like, Frodo is not British. So, like, you know, there, there is, honestly, yeah, the, the hobbits are only 50% English uh, or from the UK. So, whatever. Um, yeah. But, no, it, I think it's because it's blonde. I think it's because it's blonde and nothing about Carl Urban says blonde to me at any point. And it, his wig just, it looks so wiggy in the way that like, I know that Orlando Bloom's wearing a wig, but I get, I believe it. I don't know why I don't like it, but I've never liked it. Were you aware of, or had seen Carl Urban in other films before Lord of the Rings? Yes. Then I think that's probably why. Which, like, I, cause to me, I'm like, that's all the wig work on the show is actually, like, I think pretty solid, especially because they're, like, running around all the time and sweating. But, like, for me, oh, it's, Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean... Yeah, like, I never knew who Carl Urban was because I watched this movie as a, as a child. And then the first time I saw him in something again was, like, the new Star Trek movies. And I was like, oh, what? And, but that, like, so... But maybe that's it. Or maybe his wig's bad, just to say. I mean, talk about King of the Nerds. Carl Urban has been in so many different franchises between (laughs) this and Star Trek and Marvel and the boys. And I think he might actually he might. It's between him and one other person who holds the record of like the most comic book and like major nerd franchise appearances out of everybody. It's interesting. Anyway. um, So, yeah, so we 
we get introduced to we get introduced to them. Ginny, do you have anything else to say about like the introduction of Rohan as a as a as a kingdom? It's great. It's like because it's the first time also that you get this like true medieval atmosphere that we haven't gotten yet in any of the movies. And I think just the whole story of like Theoden and the breaking of the curse, I think it's just like it's really powerful. Like you said, I think a lot of this movie, I think you made a great point earlier that it's just damn good fantasy. Like having like the gross weaselly guy and then you have like Eowyn, Eomir being like, too long have you looked at my sister? Too long have you followed her footsteps? And then he's like, you're a banished. Like it's just so dramatic and the costumes are great and I love it. I love the hubris that Theoden ends up showing. I love all of it. I, I think it's just really good, good stuff. <laughs> I've got I've got more to say on many things that you've said, but we're not there yet. I, that, that's okay. going to be the other theme of the episode is that we're not there yet because um, <laughs> we can't get anywhere. TJ, do you have anything else to say about Rohan uh, until we get to a later point? If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand okay. cool. upon a thousand million <laughs> right. times. Right. I, I let him do a bit. This movie should have um, been a fucking show. Okay. And I right. can't because this We're still in the first, like- even if this is three episodes, we're still in the first episode. So let, let's just keep going. Um, oh it was two. See, it's 2002. Think about the incredibleness of these movies coming out as movies. It's just also I like, thought you were gonna say thing of the Incredibles, and I was like, yes, let's let's <laughs> oh bring me on that episode. My lord, I love the Incredibles. No, it's just like you have to think about this as like the fantasy bringing, and like now it's a post 9-11 world when this movie comes out. This comes out in 02. And I also like the I guess I'm seeing it on a more practical note, but like these movies repeat a lot of plot points because they came out like one year after each other, at least. So there's a lot of, like, catching up to do. I agree that, like, yeah, it'd be better as a TV show, but there's a TV show coming out, which is going to be more on the textbook about the elves, I think, which I'm blanking out on the name of that right now. Listen, if we have to, if we wait one year between Infinity War and Endgame, these people can wait one year between Lord of the Rings and know what's going on. Because um, <laughs> we did it, and our, our children will do it, and their children's children will do it. <laughs> Um, that's the rule when, when Leela, Leela, uh, who has been on the podcast, uh, this month, uh, last month, uh, is going through Marvel right now. And I am hesitant and I'm helping guide her through that. And I'm hesitant to be like, oh, cool. So you watched infinity war. Okay. You're going to wait a year. You're going to wait a year <laughs> because that's how you do it. You wait a year to find out anyway. Um, skipping to, uh, Mary and Pippin at the Rukai camp. It's very Tolkien. This happens at least three times between the Hobbit and these three books where evil creatures, the only way you get your main characters out of being captured by evil creatures is having them dumbly fight over something in the main character's bag so that they have an opportunity to escape. It happens with the trolls in the Hobbit. It happens here with they're trying to eat uh, when they're trying to eat Mary and Pippin. And, and isn't it like, look like meets looks like beats back on the menu is the line. Um, yeah. In this one, and then They're it happens. Like they kill another orc, right? And then it happens in the tower um, in Mordor, and I'm like, okay, cool. This yeah. is a thing he does, and I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with yeah. it. But it's a thing he does. This is how this is how he writes. He's gonna do it that way. Yeah. Um, skipping back to the other story, we have the we have the trio meeting the Ro- Rohaim, the Rohani. The, what is the name for the other the the soldiers of Rohan? 
Oh, they're like they're like the horse lords or something. Yeah, but there's That's like a word. Their, like, nickname is anyway. They meet him and I and they they remember. encircle him and Carl Urban's giving him a hard time and then they say something about Gimli the dwarf and then Legolas defends him and I the the first thought I had was ah oh, the twink defends his bear. Um, yeah, because I I <laughs> I do jokingly ship them. Um, I'm very pro. Pro, give it. What, wait, what would that ship name be? Would it be like Ligley? <laughs> I don't know. I like their friendship. I think it's fun to queer code them, but I also think it's kind of like silly at the same time. Oh, yeah. I, I just know. think it's I'm good friendship. Stupid. It's very like kind of that's a whole different story for a different ball game that I'm sure you guys are going to get into, or at least got into the big, the first episode with like, or the first part with um, Frodo and Sam, but. I just love it because it's like friendship between guys that it's like, it's not supposed to be no homo. It's just this nice, lovely friendship. And I love, I love like, I also ship, I ship the friendship of Legolas and Gimli as well. And I love Aragorn just being this like human that also can like hear footsteps. He's like, they're a day ahead. Oh, (laughs) I fully agree. Like I I have a note later when we, (laughs) when we're in, uh, when we're in Helm's Deep, that that like dwells on like that like the brotherhood is really what Lord of the Rings is about. Like that's explicitly why Tolkien wrote it in the way that he did, in the way yeah. he incorporates war. But we'll, but again, we'll get there. Um, so we're introduced to the Ents, and the line the line that always sticks out to me when we meet Treebeard, and they start talking to him about like, well, whose side are you on? What are you going to do about this? How are you going to help it? And he always says, I'm not on anyone's side because no one's on my side. And I really, I, I, yeah. I'm curious, Ginny, if you know anything about like, did Tolkien have any sort of trying to be an overarching message about nature? Obviously, climate change when he was alive was not something we were considering um, because that's really a 70s onward kind of idea, yeah. um, which is weird to think about. But like, w- is was it about the preserva- preservation of nature or something like that? Like. Like I see bits of eco commentary in this, but I'm not sure that I'm if I'm reading into that more than there actually is. Yeah. So I don't know specifically about Tolkien like himself, but like sure climate change wasn't really a hot topic till the seventies, but like environmentalism was certainly a topic. That's fair. On both America and in England from like, like I'm thinking of like, uh, Thoreau and Emerson and like these yeah, people okay. and stuff, you know? I guess like Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy, yeah, exactly. But I guess with Tolkien, like I'm just trying to picture someone that has been in war and been in a area where like they see the absolute. Also, he's a Catholic. He's a Christian. And like, yes, there's a lot of other like human based relationships up with Christianity. But another one is like the protection and love of God's earth and of the earth that was made. And I think that I love Treebeard's character. I, I love that line too, where he's this kind of middle ground person because he's also in the woods. He's lost in the woods. Frozen too. Um, oh but my God. They, like it takes, <laughs> yeah, you get a Frozen episode, you better bring me and Devin on because uh, that's Jenny, my Frozen was our he first episode. It was our first ever ah! episode. <laughs> Incredible! I gotta listen to it. Um, I haven't done my homework. <laughs> but, uh, like, it only takes until this is skipping ahead until Pippin, like, shows him what happens for him to, like, make a choice. 
at, to like save the environment. Cause before he's like, I am, I can't play in this. This is humans work. And I think that's what is it like, I never really thought about the environmentalist like theme until I just watched it again this time. And I was like, holy wow, this movie is a lot about that. It is about protecting the earth and trying to like keep it safe. Like that's one of the main elements of like the good versus evil. Like a lot of Saruman's big speeches to the orcs is like the reign of industrialism will prevail. Absolutely. And like this really intense stuff like that. And I maybe just because of what I'm like working on in my own work right now, but I was like, damn, this like industrialism versus like agrarian. Like, well, not only that, like military industrial. And, and while I feel like this is an external reading on it, like at the end, like what part of what makes the end such good fantasy is not only because like they have their own language and they have all that world building of like, and, and it takes very long time to say something in Entish. And so we don't say anything worth saying that's not worth saying. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like, that's fun fantasy. Like, that's a good way to, like, broaden their characters and, like, give them perspective on things. And they are incredibly supernatural, completely unique. Um, Like, there are dryads in other stories, but they, they really get kind of pushed to the side. This is the one major fantasy series where you really get to see a tree-based or plant-based character, um, like, really be put front and center on things and then all, not only that yeah. like in the face of the industry and the the where the reason they decide to go to war is is you know the 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 environmentalists in them and and the their ability to shepherd the trees but in the end when they triumph it's like yeah if you don't respect this and you over industrialize the forest will win because the forest is yeah. a stronger force than you Every time. Totally. Nature is a stronger force than you every time. Yeah. I also just have to laugh. I remembered when I first watched that as a kid, I was like, oh yeah, I know. And Isengard's a whole battle. I'm like, that ain't no battle. <laughs> that is a, that is a like just complete decimation blind side of Saruman yeah. to the point where I'm kind of like Saruman, dude, like what the fuck were you doing the whole time to not pay attention to these slow moving ants moving towards your tower? What were you doing? And he just looks at it like flabbergasted the whole time. Yeah, I guess there isn't really much he could do at that point. I guess I was saying too, like, I don't think Saruman expected the Ents to do anything because it's not like they've ever done anything before. I think it took the Hobbits, like, talking to them to be able to, like, again, like, see what was going on and Mm -hmm. actually take action. And I know we're... Like, I don't know what would have happened if they weren't there, but... And I know we're hopping around, but yes, Mary's speech in that whole process and and Mary's realization in the forest that it's like, hey, I'm a part of this war. I'm a part of this story and you are also a part of the story. You cannot avoid it. Not taking sides is taking sides. Um, What? Yeah. Doesn't he say this isn't the line like literally like, but you're a part of it. You're a part of this world and you need to and you need to defend it. Um, And that whole journey for him is. I would say that's a bigger journey for him than what he than what he goes through in in Return of the King, and I I really appreciated it that that this time around. Um, yeah. So, back to the story. But, yeah, back to the story. <laughs> the introduction of the Ents. So and... Frodo. Fro- next thing I have is like Frodo and Sam. Back to Frodo and Sam. They are with Gollum. They are in the dead the dead marsh. Um, and I just no. They have you skipped them meeting Smeagol? Oh, I didn't mean to. But yeah, so they meet Smeagol. And, and I know it's, nothing happened. They, 
<laughs> no, but I know it's big on like there's a whole like the plot doesn't happen the way it happens if Smeagol doesn't lead them to Mordor, if Gollum doesn't lead them to Mordor. But like truthfully, when he's choking Sam, like Frodo, you should have just killed him. Like you would have saved yourself a lot of grief in the end. But then again, it probably it wouldn't happen the way it happened if it didn't happen. Um, I think genuinely, literally, the only reason he does not kill uh, Smeagol there is because of the talk he had with Gandalf in the previous movie. Yeah, that's right. And the fact that it was literally mm. about Gollum. Yeah. Yeah. Which also goes into, like, I guess the Christian idea. But also, like, I think there is a line that Frodo says later to um, Faramir that he says about Smeagol that he's bound to him. And I think, like, yeah, like, practically, there's so many things in this movie that's like, practically, like, it should have done this way. Like, I'm not even going to get into the Eagles because that's not my episode. But, um, I I think it's like massively important that he stayed and the whole conflict. I think it's just like, it's one of the best parts of the movie to me is like Sam and Frodo and Smeagol's whole thing. The constant, and of course the potatoes, everyone's taking potatoes, yeah. uh, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. It's uh, the best. <laughs> I... and, <laughs> and wriggling. <laughs> But Smeagol is Andy Circus is a fucking god. Absolutely. I don't know if I can curse on this podcast, you, but you my god, that man's performance is so incredible. Every time I get older and rewatch him, it's like insane. Like the wailing and the screaming, mm-hmm. it's funny. It's so funny and sad at the same time. I think as a kid, I was like horrified, but now I like laugh so hard because I think I can just weirdly relate like i'm just sitting there being he's like it burns and it freezes and i'm like literally me having to get up and be a human every single day like uh it's like writhing he's like well i mean also to that note like also tremendously evil like the 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 side I know I, I, I know some people don't like to define it this way, but like there's the Smeagol side and the Gollum side and like Frodo does him yeah. a massive amount. gives him a massive gift in, in calling him Smeagol again so that he can remember. And I think that's like he does. He does really struggle through this movie with honoring someone else and and the dark side of him that that was manifested since he saw the ring, um, which is you know, the truly evil side, the side that when he looks in there, his reflection talks back to him and tells him to, to be evil. Um, and just the, the, the absolute venom dripping from him in those moments. And then the humor of Spiegel being innocent and not wanting to like, literally I, one of my notes is I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Um, when he's talking to himself is is, is adorable. Um, for a creature that is disgusting. It's relatable. Like it's what Frodo is dealing with at a much larger scale. Like if Frodo went down a different path Mm -hmm. and it's very relatable for anyone with like self-hating feelings. Like I kept on thinking about the scene of like the incredible ways that they're doing like the camera shots and stuff. I thought that was really fun. Like the swing camera, but like the leave now and never come back scene. It's like, again, the older I get, the more I watch it. I'm like, fuck, like, I do that all the time mm-hmm. where I'm like saying really mean shit to myself and being like, you're like, obviously it's not as venomous as like kill all the fat hobbits is they're traitors. Like, of course it's not like that, but I don't know. It's, it gets more and more relatable. <laughs> the 
older and older I get. I, I, I've always had a feeling for Smeagol, even as a kid, especially in the third one. I think the best part of the third one in a lot of ways is the opening sequence, which y'all will get to. I think Yo, it's really yeah. uh-huh. uh, powerful. Yeah. So, as but, a kid, it was petrifying, but yeah. But on that note of Fro- what Frodo is dealing with, one one problem I've always had with the films is like the choice that they make to show Frodo having trouble with his scar that the Nazgul gave him slash like Mm -hmm. the ring or Sauron is like attacking him like psychically is to just have him flop over like a fish. And that always, and it's always bothered me. And it bothered me specifically. And it has nothing to do with the ring. It's while they're in the dead, the dead marsh. And he sees the, and he sees (laughs) the body. It's really funny. And like literally you cut to a a wide shot of him and he just fucking flops, just full on belly flops face first into the water. And I'm like, Frodo, you fucking idiot. After everything you've been through so far and all the effects that the rings are having, the ring is having on you right now, you can't just go, you know what? I'm not going to look in the water. I think that's a good idea at this point, but no. Yeah. That's fair. The only way I can possibly (laughs) justify it is that the ring is making him slightly suicidal. I guess, but like, that's fair. There's a lot. I think it's, I think it's best in return of the King of showing his suffering of getting through these things. But when we're here right now, we're in that, we're in that like middle to heavy suffering moment where like his scar is affecting him. And, and again, something that uh, was stolen by, uh, by Joanne um, of a scar hurting someone while in the presence of evil. Um, but like, yeah. there's not enough for as long as this movie is in the standard version. I don't think there's enough cinematic illustration of his scar or his wound hurts because the Nazgul is around and like, it just, it, it, it compounds the problem that TJ mentioned last episode where it's like, why is Frodo the hero? All Frodo does is, it, like, Frodo himself is just kind of a, it's just kind of a sponge. He's just kind of an evil sponge. Who says that Frodo's the hero? I know. The and movie. But, Well, I mean, the yeah, the movie, the books. Does it, does it say that he's the hero? Like, I mean, you could also argue that, like, Aragorn's the hero. Different kind of hero. Like, actually, uh, that anyone implying that Frodo was the hero is m- most relevant in the first one. In the first one, Frodo is the hero, all because yeah. of oh, definitely. I will take the ring to Mordor. Like that is the he- accepting of the journey and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Insert insult about Luke Skywalker and A New Hope. Um, but like, yeah, I think eventually, uh, uh, over time, they really do fo- focus a lot more on Aragorn in terms of like the true hero, because there can only be one king, because he has the good blood, he has that good good inside of Pussy. him. Um, <laughs> he got that Aragussy. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to take that one little isolated sound clip (laughs) and put it at the beginning of the episode uh, just on its Uh, own with no context. (laughs) You should. Um, Well, here's the thing. I actually think I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I think this is the movie where it's the hardest to pick out who is the singular hero of the story, because I think that Aragorn and Frodo share the limelight very much in Return of the King. 
Maybe there's more footage of Aragorn going through the king stuff. But at the end of the day, it is Frodo and Sam. I mean, I guess you could say Sam is still becomes more of the hero than Frodo in the final moments of the film. But still, like Sam and Frodo as a pair become in the in the in the climax of the series, the true heroes. And then we follow the hobbits for the rest of the way out. Aragorn kind of gets where he needs to get to as that's happening for Sam and Frodo, and then they finish the job. And so, like, this is the movie where we do play a lot of that juggling of, like, we're going to talk about a bunch of a bunch of different stories, and we're going to play around, once again, with the different ways in all these uh, ways in which all these characters are heroes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But also, like, it's, I think we were going back, like, with the brotherhood. Like, yeah, I agree. Like, yes, like, Frodo, I guess, is, the like, the hero in a lot of that sense. But, like, he obviously wouldn't have been able to do what he did without all of these other people, like, helping out with distracting the Orkai and distracting Sauron's eye. And, like, the, like, the Ents, like, obviously the Ents aren't the heroes I wish they were. But, like, the Ents, like, helped so much in destroying one of the towers that, like, a lot of... I think it's just, like, I love this story because it's not so central on one person like other fantasy ones are. Like, it's so dependent on the team, even though there is a lot of time spent on singular people. Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme, it's more team, team-oriented, team which I, I find really fun. Um, even though there are, like, obviously more central heroes, like, out of that. Like, like obviously, like, I wouldn't say Gimli's the hero or anything like that. Well, speaking of heroes, um, or at least the resurrection and hero's journey, uh-huh. let's talk about the first time we see Gandalf, because Ginny has some Ginny has some religious thoughts on the return of <laughs> Gandalf. I think it's actually it's super interesting. I didn't notice till this time around that they literally film backlit Christopher Lee until they reveal him, which was yeah. And Interesting. Voice. To me. The voice seems like it's mixed. Yes, yeah. it's absolutely that. So yes, so Gandalf returns from Gandalf returns from. I, I, he never really died. Let's be real about that. Um, like he kind of went into this other plane of existence for a little bit. I don't know. And then he gets the resurrection um, when the trio meets him, and then they head to Rohan together. Um, Jenny, thoughts? Like yeah, it's obviously a Christian overturn. I think. Either you were mentioning earlier that, that it's like an allegory. And I'm like, I don't think it's an allegory because this is, it's not like Narnia. It's not like. Correct. Yeah. I think that, I think there's like a splintering of like Jesus figures, if you want to call it that. In the, it's like Frodo, Aragorn, and Gandalf, like are three aspects of Jesus. Like you have the one that has to crucify himself to suffer. Like Frodo has to do something to save everybody. Aragorn's like the king of the kingdom and then you have like Gandalf who's like the wise preacher like prophet figure so like I guess that's that 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 was like what I kind of I never thought about it that way I never really put this in a Christian connotation um but and I don't think it takes away from it thinking it either way I think the point was the genius of these books and of these movies is that you can read it that way or you don't have to I think like if you read like Narnia, like C.S. Lewis, like it's just fucking so dripping wet. It is sloppy with Jesus and with Christianity. Like you cannot get away from it. And I think it's much more powerful to have a narrative that like has a little bit of both. Like obviously Gandalf, like rising from 
the dead and the light and stuff is very evocative of that. But at the same time, it's like, is a wizard. I don't know. He's, he's the white wizard. Like, I don't know. Fair. You fair. know what I mean? I, I definitely that. did. Like, <laughs> like, like I, I mentioned it last episode, but like that marathon, you know, I, oh yeah, I mentioned it already in this episode. The marathon always happened on Easter and my friends are always just like, it's the Jesus moment. And I'm like, I don't know what we're talking about here. I, I kind of see it, but okay. Um, it's like he resurrected, but there's no ascension. Like, is the fellowship the apostles? Like, it just, it's like a weird, it's a weird reading if you want to read it that way like it's kind of the same thing when people watch uh or read wizard of oz and they go to that like stupid conspiracy not stupid but like that conspiracy theory of like it's about like america during like the gold standard and the silver standard and like kansas is middle america so it's like a very it's like a populist narrative like I literally had a history class in high school where our teacher like did a whole class on this and I've heard it since and I'm like, sure, but like, why? Like just for funsies? Like I don't, I don't see why it is important. And I think I see that with Lord of the Rings too, where I'm like, if you want to call it Christian, I guess, but like they're wizards and it's fantasy. Like if you're super evangelical, you'd call that like slander and heresy for having a wizard be a Jesus figure. So I don't really see the point. That's kind of my take. Absolutely fair. Take it or leave it. (laughs) Absolutely fair. Yeah. I'm milking you for content. Um. (laughs) Take me, baby, or leave me. You can milk me. (laughs) You can milk me however you want. I don't know. This is not the last Jedi. Everybody move (laughs) with me. Move. Move with me. Wow, back to back rent. <laughs> Diet Coke. Um, so yeah. I do want to. Also, like, very side note, I want Lambus bread. Yeah. Was like, I was telling my boyfriend, he was watching it with me, and he was like, oh, is that supposed to be like communion? And I was like, fuck no. I just love Lambus bread. I was like, if you were a hiker granola person, damn, that'd be so great to have on a. Which show. he is. <laughs> yeah well yeah going back to the circles it's like i don't know if you're into hiking it's fun to watch i don't know <laughs> um take it or leave it <laughs> i do want to acknowledge one moment that i had forgotten about that follow directly follows this that is one of my favorite tropes and that is the handing over of all the weapons when they're first going into the court of Rohan and it's just one thing after a freaking other one after the other, I highly recommend anybody, but uh, because apparently I don't know if this was like commissioned through Lego or if somebody just did a fan made trailer on uh, like a fan made Lord of the Rings with Lego pieces at the time, but there is another version of it with like claymation style Lego, uh, Lego animation that is this sequence but like to uh, infinity times where they are just they spend a good 20 <laughs> minutes just giving over weapon after weapon after weapon after weapon after a ridiculous weapon um and i i just i i'm very glad i'm like oh they know what they were doing there and i'm very happy that they did oh, it yeah that's why gimli's not just like obviously gimli's like very comedy oriented in this one but like the film itself knows its humor like there's a lot of like legolas i think is pretty like self like at least the way that he's done i think is pretty self-aware like it it's kind of campy like you know there it 
I don't think it takes itself too seriously. And I think that's why I enjoy it. It's like so dramatic. And so, but maybe that's just like me reading it from a like 2022 perspective, but that whole sequence of them going back into Rohan and and Gandalf is like, you wouldn't take from an old staff from an old man. And he's like, the staff, you take away the staff. The door opening sequences in these movies alone are incredible. Absolutely. Like Aragorn, when he comes back. Swoon. <laughs> Absolute. Like uh, I said Swoon. in the last episode, he grimes up good. Um, it's the opposite of cleans up nice uh, is he grimes up good. Um, honestly, like that Aragorn opening up the door shot is more Jesus to me than Gandalf <laughs> when he comes back up with a life. I love to that me, as that a quote. To me, that is much more like... You know, it's like he's him opening up those doors, going back to see all of his friends. I'm like, to me, that is much more like if you've read the Bible, when Jesus comes back to all of his buds after resurrection, like that's much more what's happening. It's like, boom, motherfuckers, I'm here. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, so so we have that, the. That, that's, that, that's well, and honestly, <laughs> if, if the film was slightly more sarcastic, they would have had the je- they would have had. Uh, wait, is it is it Grima who says, I told you that I told you not to let him have the staff? Yeah. Um, if it was slightly yeah. more sarcastic, we probably been like, it probably would have been like, I told you not to not to let him have the staff. Um, but yeah, so we have the whole new. No, you have no power here. I was there are times when I watch this and I'm like, oh, I am actually very impressed by how they did that when he expels Saruman and then they flash to Saruman basically tripping over. I was like, oh, OK, that was actually a good special effects. Um, but all this to say, it yeah. feels like and TJ, you'll probably appreciate this. Freeing Theoden feels like the side quest in a game so you can get a new base and a new region and you don't have to turn back all the way to like. <laughs> heal your characters again like you don't have to return to like that really far place to like get new items and shit that's what that's what rohan like freeing theoden and getting rohan on their side feels like to me is that it's like okay we can can live here now this is the next phase of the game i mean i genuinely feel like it's like it's basically not unlike what you said but it's more so like getting a new companion like it's the quest where yeah. you go on where it's like yeah it's yeah it's the plot it's the plot but really everyone just does this quest to get the new companion that's what we really want <laughs> that's what this feels like <laughs> but not so much like i think for this movie sure it's the king but in general it's for aowen <laughs> overall so let, let's like, we get to spend some time with aowen right here so like let's talk about aowen um Ooh, can we like despite the fact that she's only the third woman um in the whole thing <laughs> um i i think awen's this is written by a man who was in war like i understand like yes i'm a woman i would wish there were more female characters but i was also thinking about re-watching these movies and how like in a lot of ways non-male gazy they are and that's Even exactly my Arwen note yeah is a love interest yeah um i would say yeah. if if anything <laughs> if anything Eowyn is an example of the closest we could possibly get to a female gaze in the way that she, like, cares for Aragorn and, like, the way that we see her, like, very breathless about him. Because it's not about the fact that he's the main character. It's not about him being some sort of power fantasy because we consistently see throughout the whole thing where it's like, no, he's a good leader. He cares very much about little the the, the little people. He he's going to make sure that a king who has a different, you know, thought process understands that he's overlooking something like he is very Hugh Jackman in a sweater. Um, 
in this way where it's like he's not really the power fantasy in this case. And so, like, it's kind of the closest we're going to get to that gaze is through Eowyn. And I that's why I think she's actually I don't know. I can't speak for the books, but I, I believe Eowyn's actually decently written in the movies. Maybe not perfect. Um, you know, I didn't pay too close of attention to like yeah. her literal lines or anything. I probably would have to do a whole rewatch to really hone in on Eowyn specifically. But like the cage moment is a bit much. It's like pre-girl bossy. Yeah. Which, he's like, what's your biggest fear? And she's like, being in a cage. But also, uh, I'm here for it. I'm here for Eowyn. I'm also here for Arwen. Like, Arwen, I also think, is in a pretty female gazy look. There's never this, like, exploitation of them. It's after what they want. Yes, Arwen's arc is much more, like, romantically led, but... She's struggling really hard with, like, leaving her father or leaving her people for the person she loves. And all of her amazingness in the Fellowship of the Ring is, like, the best part. The, if you want him, come and claim him. I mean, Arwen, Arwen just ends up being kind of boring for me. I love her. <laughs> she's boring. She's much more boring than Eowyn. But she's, she's very much on the sidelines by yeah, comparison to Eowyn. Um. But yeah, and and so like it's interesting. Like they could have very easily hinted that oh, Eowyn's also so attractive, and all these boys want her, and Aomer has to be like protective of her, and and Grima is the gross one who wants her, but the other guys want her too, and Aragorn's gonna think about it. It's like they don't do any of that. They don't do any of that. They no. make it truly about like we get to see her, we get to see what she wants, which is both to be of service to fight and romantically Aragorn, and. That's the extent of it. And we have Grima. It, the, Grima being obsessed with her is more about him than it is about her. Um, and so that's why totally. I definitely appreciate everything that goes on with her in this. Um, yeah. So. And as it continues, she's just an incredible friend. Mm -hmm. She's an incredible friend at the end of this one, too. Like when she sees Aragorn again after Helm's Deep, she like embraces him. But there's a really beautiful moment that I don't think I ever noticed before. Where when Aragorn comes back, Legolas gives Aragorn mm -hmm. the, I'm blanking out on the name, the necklace, yeah. the Elvish necklace. And there's this beautiful shot where like you see Eowyn like about to run up and then she's like, no. And there's a shot of like the hand on the necklace and she kind of like stops herself and lets him have that moment for himself and kind of realizes something for herself. And I just thought that was great. And then that goes into her friendship with Mary and like, it's all so fun. It's just, she's so nice and good and not like in a girly way. Like I, I it's kudos to kudos to um, Peter Jackson on that one. She ends up with Faramir, right? They cut that out of the standard edition, but that's in the extended edition, right? Yeah, they look at each other okay. nice and lovingly, and it's insinuated, but it's right. not like they're, like, making out or something. But anyway, last thing, like, to your point about her, their friendship above their romantic relationship, the moment where he has that sword moment with her when she says, you know, the fear of being in a cage was a big moment for me where I was like, I forgot where they go with these two, but like, I would love this friendship. Like, I would really love to see this friendship progress. Like, they could have had a completely side thing of like, cool, well, you may have to fight at one point, so let's do a friendly training montage with Aragorn. I would have been like, down for that. If that was in this movie, I'd be so, so down for that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
surprisingly, we've been away for Frodo and Sam for 45 minutes. Um, I literally clocked it. I was like, oh, damn, they went away from Frodo and Sam for 45 minutes. Can I just say, back to the Gollum question, the master terminology has never sat well with me. I think it's purposeful, though. Yeah. Purposeful that it's supposed to not sit well with people. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be weird and off-putting. Or at least I would hope so. I would hope so. That's me cu- giving, you know, Tolkien one of my many benefits of the fucking doubt. <laughs> I'm just like, I really yeah. hope that you're doing this on purpose. <laughs> Which I think it, if you, like, think about it on a, again, I'm, like, thinking about this from a Christian point in a way that I never really have thought about before, but he was a devout Catholic all his life. And, like, I think it, in some ways I also agree that it could be very purposeful in the sense that it's, like, calling a thing master instead of like what you should be. And it should be making you uncomfortable. Like that Gollum is so like, it's that it's like trying to put someone as a master, like in the way that people would be like, my master is God. I don't know. Maybe it's something like that, but I also agree it's uncomfortable, but I think it's effective for what's going on with Smeagol. And it's like rough to watch. Like it's rough to watch like Sam being that, gruesome and that mean to this creature like dragging him around on like a leash it's and like it damn near feels almost out of character at times like it yeah i agree with that it's just like okay sam jesus (laughs) i think it i think it comes around in the end and we'll i'll talk about sam's lines at the end of the movie as well um, but yeah. I, I agree. Like they definitely, they put Sam through the ringer in this moment. Yeah. I think it makes sense eventually in the third of what Smeagol does to Sam. But at this part, I do agree. It feels kind of out of character, but at the same time, I think it's also showing that this journey is not only affecting Frodo, it's also affecting Sam because Sam is having to be the morale for both of them. Um, so there's an element of that, too. So speaking of giving Tolkien the benefit of the doubt, why do they got to make the bad hum- like the bad men like yep. Southwest Asian? Like. It's it's kind of annoying with the, the way that they have the cloth and that looks like turbans and war elephants. The eyeliner. And- yeah, I'm like, uh, I because it's here's the thing. It's not just Tolkien. There are a lot. It happens in Game of Thrones with the way they and it's more so Mongolian influence with the with the um, whatchamacallit, the uh, Dothraki and stuff like that, where it's like uh, I, the way these English authors talk about people from these regions and they're vastly different. I, I don't want to make an like equate people who are from like the Mongolian steppe versus the versus like um, true like Southwest Asian um, but still, like the 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 ways that we characterize that, I'm like, eh, it's not. I don't like it. I mean, given they're like the boat people, but we don't really see them as much. Um, they're not really as much of a factor. Yeah. The pirates. Um, I was just kind of like, ah, damn it, why you gotta? Can you gotta I take do this that? quick moment to have a slight detour to talk about something that is related, but not a hundred percent a Lord of the Rings thing. This is kind of a fantasy thing that I experienced through Dragon Age uh, specifically because in Dragon Age Origins, Dragon Age Origins is a game where 
much like the name implies, you, depending on your race, class, you know, whatever, you can have one of six distinct origin stories, and it changes the entire beginning of the game for you. The human noble one, which is the one that they clearly put the most time into because it's a human noble, uh, you have a family, but interestingly, if you make your character not white, your family is still white. And this is something that they correct in the next game, but it definitely is really, really obvious and uncomfortable in this one because it implies that they didn't once imagine anyone would want to play a non-white main character. But also, it's also notable because, yeah, it's the human noble character, which is also the one that they put the most time into and yada, yada, yada. And I remember there was a time where I was voicing my irritation with this and my annoyance with this and kind of I was saying this about Dragon Age, but I was also it was a thing with fantasy in general. Like that is kind of weird, though, that there's it's constantly like a European flair. There's constantly majority white cast. There's almost never any non-white characters, main characters, supporting characters, characters with speaking lines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I remember I was saying it, I think, on like a Facebook group for Dragon Age or something, and somebody was giving me pushback, going like, you know, well, these are it's Europe, it's based on European shit. It's you know the Middle Ages in Europe, and I'm like, it's also fantasy, right? Right. So what you're telling me is that it is more believable to have near immortal elves magic and literal <laughs> demons walk the earth than to have a black character or an Asian character or a Latin character of literally any kind that's not an antagonist. Because conveniently, the one time we seem to have characters that are slightly more tan than the main cast is when they're being beheaded. So it's like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> well, and, and to that, like, to the this is something that it's like literature actually has a lot of really good and really celebrated black and brown fantasy settings. Um, I'm looking at one on my shelf right now called Black Leopard Red Wolf, and that has its own problems. There's a lot of like stuff about sex in there that I'm not entirely like keen on, um, but it's queer and black um, and it's set using African like creatures and African myths and kind of weaving them together in the same way that like elves and dwarves and dragons in this sense and uh, you know, kind of goblins in this sense are very Nordic. Um, it does the same with African myths. And there's like, there's a lightning bird that is also a vampire and there's like all sorts of different kinds of ghouls and new things to learn about and different relationships to the afterlife. And there are still archers and there's still swordsmen and the main character is a tracker. So he has like an improved sense of smell and one person can turn into a leopard. Um, it's like, there's all sorts of really, really cool stuff. And I'm just waiting for someone to option it because I'm just like, this would make a great series. Like, make it an HBO series. It would be incredible. You would blow people's minds and you would get so much good. You would get so much good. And then maybe they're waiting for more books because I think there's only one out. Um, you would get so much good responses to it because it's something that people are craving. And it's, 
it's the combination of like i don't see them going forth with the new lord of the rings or middle earth based amazon series without diversifying the cast i don't see how they can do that in this day and age i don't know what would make them justify it for the exact argument you're making tj but also on the flip side we can decentralize the europeanness of fantasy by doing more stuff like this and i think we get that a little bit more with east asian fantasy but that's typically labeled as more of an anime or its own subgenre than just overarching fantasy altogether in fact we get more european space fantasy out of star wars than we get any sort of black or brown fantasy and i oh can't even God, think of Oof, yeah. i i know i know there probably is something out there but like give me something that's based in like like Inca and Olmec and Aztec myth fantasy. Like, give me that stuff too. There's no reason it shouldn't be. And then like, there's some things that dip their toes into Native American, but even then that's tricky as long, you know, depending on who you're consulting. There are so many other mythologies that can then become fantasy because they're very, very close together in that way. Um, And that was what Tolkien, you know, arguably people say one of the things Tolkien was looking to do is that like, there was no, like Beowulf is like a Nordic story. There is no Beowulf for English, even though it's written, there's a version written in Old English. Um, there's none of that. Like that's, there's nothing that ties your, like England together. And that's what he, that was one of the motives for writing Lord of the Rings in the way that he did was like, I'm going to take all these disparate things and I'm going to unify them under this one kind of mythology. Um, somebody who is a major Tolkien fan is going to be like literally trying to stab me through the, the, through their ears because i don't know how right i don't know how right i am about this this is just stuff i picked up along the way yeah but like i agree with all of the above on everyone but i think there's a distinction to be made on like what tolkien meant and how peter jackson adapted this into a film like these movies were made were being filmed in the late 90s there were plenty of films and black media and like non-white media and non-white actors to pull from or even like this was based in New Zealand. Like I was thinking about that with all of the extras of the women and children in Helm's Deep. And I was like, why are they all white? Like if you're taking, I'm presuming actors and extras from New Zealand, like there's plenty of like, I'm blanking out on the, on the indigenous group in New Zealand, but there's plenty of the, the, the Maori. The the Maori. Like Maori. Yeah, I always, sorry, I always mess that up. It's Maori, but I, I, I have to spell it in my head. Yeah, I don't know. There's just, like, plenty of things to choose from. And maybe, like, again, that's an artistic choice of Peter Jackson, like, per, I'm sure wanting to be as true to the books as possible. But it's still an intentional choice. I keep on going back and forth between being, like, it was 2002. Like, that wasn't a thing. But I'm like, but it was a thing. Like, The Wire came out in 2001. Like, there's a lot of stuff like there's a lot of actors there's a lot of writers like black tv had reached a high in the 90s like i don't know there's just there's a lot of opportunity and i agree with tj that even just like having people there i think is important and like the debate can go on forever and i agree that like there should be maybe more like more like mythology from like hell i watch i listen to myths and legends the podcast like every night before i go to bed um and all of those myths would be incredible to make into fantasy stories but i don't know i think the new lord of the rings tv show is making sure that it's a bit more diverse at least from the photos i've seen of new characters um but we'll see that's my take so what you're saying is we should give taika waititi the reins to lord of the rings Uh, oh yes 
Give Taika Waititi the reins to everything. Um, yeah, I mean, genuinely, my, I, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I have yet to, I have yet to watch his uh, the new series, um, Our Flag Means Death, where he plays Blackbeard, but it looks very, very good, and I hear very good things. Um, oh, I need to watch. That. I've never even heard of that. Speaking of uh, the ter- the vill- terrified villagers, how much fun do you think it was being a terrified villager in these movies? Because some of the faces they get to make look like hella fun to just do a million takes of like okay you're gonna be in agony in this moment just go ham and i'd be like fucking yeah let's do it (sighs) it'd be fantastic amazing i mean then again i'm a man so i probably wouldn't get the agony face but um yeah uh, i wonder how they filmed it because like helm's deep was like three months of night shoots but they could have filmed in one day the shots that they show of the women and children in the basement which so, it's interesting. Also, uh, more I'll get to that kind of stuff. But for a battle I never remember, the warg ambush is very dynamic when it comes to battles. It's great. Like there are a lot. There's a lot of battle fatigue and a lot of like trudging through battles in this. This one's incredibly dynamic. I was like, there's always changes of hand. There's a lot of different. Mo- there's a lot of movement going on. Like you get to watch Gimli go through an arc and then Legolas go through an arc. Things are being progressed. We're getting some character development through it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is actually a very solid battle. Yeah. And then I I, concur. I forget scary. why I wrote this down, but I wrote down elves are like lobsters. They mate for life. <laughs> yes, I think that's true. I think what I mean by that Not is wrong. that like lobsters will live forever unless something kills them. Right. Maybe like Legolas has like a near death or something. And I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, well, no, so that one guy, that one guy that leads the elves to Helm's Deep dies. Yeah, exactly. So like, but he would have lived forever. Yeah, because they're immortal. Yeah, but they're mortal. But they're not. Are lobsters immortal? Like, we have no record of lobsters dying in the wild. I don't know. Anyway, elves are like lobsters, people. They get red. Apparently, you can fight lobsters in Elden Ring, by the way. Wait, what? In what? (laughs) (laughs) Apparently you can fight giant lobsters in uh, Elden Ring. (laughs) I just brought that up because you brought up lobsters. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) All right. Bring in the dancing lobsters. Um, Oh, Lord. So we're at at the point now where, where they are moving people to Helm's Deep, they got ambushed by the wargs, they take some casualties, and then we jump to Frodo and and Sam meeting Faramir. And Faramir, I, I don't... Uh, I'm sorry, getting captured by Faramir. Okay, And fine. tossed around with their with hoods over their heads or being blindfolded. And then, then they meet Faramir. <laughs> and then when they ask him who they are, and they go, I suppose you're... What, they say something, what is he... Like, I suppose that you're his... Uh, his his ward or his bodyguard his bodyguard and he goes his, his bodyguard gardener. no this gardener <laughs> and, that, and that made me laugh um like we legitimately need more men like samwise gamgee in just media in general that i just we just yes! need more men depicted to just be like no i'm not manly that is okay that's yeah. fine i don't need to well, be it's like <laughs> Well, it's so funny because, like, the only other role that Sean Astin, I think, in major, major popular media that he's known for now is his role in season two 
of Stranger Things. And, yes. Which he plays in what? And Goonies. And Goonies, obviously. But, like, uh, but in, at least in this, in Star Wars, uh, Star Wars in Stranger Things, <laughs> he plays that same character. Like, just like a good, sweet man that is doing his best. Bob. Bob. Only in that one, he. Sorry, spoilers. Oh, um, right. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm gonna go on, go ahead and bleep that. <laughs> <laughs> Do people get really um, pissed uncut. about? I feel like there's flag a... on the play. <laughs> flag on the play. I feel like with spoilers, if it's been over a no. year, I'm like, get your life together. I don't know. Well, TJ, like, don't be mad. TJ had almost an entire year of WandaVision. Not like- oh my God. Like legitimately WandaVision was spoiled for me when it came out. And I was just like, all right, all right, fine. <laughs> Fuck you too then. And then I finally watched WandaVision. I was like, man, I can only imagine what my reaction would have been if I did not know what was going to happen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're you're caught up and Moon Knight starts on Wednesday, so I'm so, like uh, no, no, no. You're not doing this. We're not going to now all of a sudden pivot to talking about fucking Marvel, okay? <laughs> we are yeah, I'm no, not having here a for hard that enough no, time <laughs> trying to talk about fucking Lord I do want to talk about Faramir. I do want to talk about Faramir and largely just because he just feels like Boromir with an army. In this movie, there's a like, oh my god, there's a quote. No! I I really don't want to fuck this up, but like, what's their dad's name again? Uh, uh, Denethor. Denethor. Well, if I know one thing, I know this: Denethor did not raise no bitch, but he sure as hell raised an idiot or two. Yes, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. <laughs> no, but the thing is that like he he especially because we we get moments of him being. Attracted to the ring in the same way that Boromir was. I was like, I'm getting distinction between who they are. And you do tell us, you know, it takes a second for you to tell us that they're brothers. But I knew that going in. Um, and it's so it's it's difficult for me because I'm like, I feel like Faramir could have had so much more in this movie. Yes. And he does in the extended version of Return of the King that having watching the the only the normal one this time around, I was like, there's an entire flashback of like, who Boromir was to Gondor and to Denethor and how Faramir was in that shadow that we just don't get in this. And I'm like, oh, no, that actually, when you choose to cut that, that's actually very important to be caring about this character at all. I don't know. I I think there is at least some difference in Faramir in the sense that, like, maybe it's just because he knows what happened to Boromir, like what Sam says to him, but in the look on his face of, like, realizing what's going on but i think that they i think you can get and maybe it is because i already know what happened in the director's cut i agree but there's some bit of him i think that is kinder or more like understanding of the bigger picture like i don't think that boromir in the same place would have let them go like faemir did Right, like their 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 brother dynamic. To put it in like United States high school is like Boromir is the football player and he's a star. Faramir does pretty well on the soccer team. Um, 
And like (laughs) in American culture, that's like a distinction. Um, Like that's their dynamic. And like, I get that, but it's one of those things where it's like, I, I, because I know there's more to him. I wish it was there. It's, it's just not there. Yeah. That's fair. And it also like, doesn't help. Cause the like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Um, we've talked about how we like, uh, this hasn't quite happened yet, but we talked about, if we're talking about the entirety of the scenes with Faramir and, and, and Frodo and Sam, um, we talked about liking, uh, Gollum's song. Is there anything else we want to cover with that or should we move on? Song's fantastic. And it's sad. Like, I think that's the other thing too, where it's so depressing because that's the turning point that brings Gollum back. Because there's a mm-hmm. solid amount of time that Smeagol has really gotten Gollum. He's told him to leave now, never come back. He's gone. And if this fucking Faemir sidestep didn't happen, then, and also that Faemir didn't treat him so badly, that made it pretty much unintentionally framed Frodo into thinking that, or Frodo into, for Smeagol to think that Frodo tricked him then Gollum wouldn't have come back. I think that, like, that's something that really hit me this time. That's just really heartbreaking. Because Frodo is just like, I am bound to him. I'm trying to protect him. And then they capture him. They grab him. They throw him around. And then there's a horrible... He's, like, holding himself. And he's like, mean men are cruel to us. And I was like, they are cruel to you. And then, like, all of the stuff was, like, the next movie. Like, all of that. That's the turning point in that one scene of Gollum coming back. And I wonder what would happen if, if that didn't happen. If Smeagol was able to take them, maybe Gollum would have come back as they got closer to Mount Doom. But I don't know. I mean, it's funny that you say like that, that like the men are the ones who toss them around because I'm like, yeah, you know what? They keep talking about how it's the age of men and it's going to be either terrible or great. And I'm kind of like, Yo, fuck the men in this movie. Like, fuck men as a concept in this movie. They're just doing all sorts totally. of fucking shit up. If it were, if Aragorn died, the age of men would have been a terrible time. That's why you need to have the balance, and then the balance is gone. Even at the beginning of the entire series, like, don't know what's happened to the doors. The elves are fucking off, and then you have all of these men. So. Just a bunch of men, and they suck. I agree. Well, some of them, some of them don't suck. My actually, my, my next note is, is on, uh, Aragorn's return to, to, uh, Helm's Deep. But go ahead, Jenny. I, I, just a sidebar. Like, I'm really excited to talk about him because he's like, I don't like him very much. I used to like, like him more. And now I just. No, let's, let's talk about it. Cause I don't know if we're going to have a fully like, like, unless we talk about, unless you're specifically referring to like things he does during the battle of Helm's Deep. Yeah, let's talk about it at Helm's Deep. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll sidebar it for Helm's Deep. We're yeah. almost there. We're getting there. Guys, I know it's a long movie <laughs> and a long podcast, and TJ is kind of like the Merry and Pippin storyline where it's going to go away for a really long time and you're not going to hear from it, and then eventually it's going to come back. But anyway. Um, <laughs> and he is still silent. Okay. <laughs> um. He's probably Trevor. You remember the Mandalorian episode? Okay, all right. Honestly, you could like go get McDonald's and just come back at the end. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't threaten me with a good time. Okay. 
getting to what my point. Um, this is what I was hinting at earlier when we talk about like what is the Lord of the Rings really about and the Brotherhood present here because similar to my joke about the twink defending his bear, uh, when the love that Gimli shows Aragorn when he when he sees him, he's not dead and he rides back into Helm's Deep is like that's like that particular moment of acting by Jonathan Rhys Davies is to me like one of the best personifications of one of the major things that Lord of the Rings is about is that moment of like, you're not fucking dead. I'm so glad you're here. We've been, we've been through so much. I care about you so much. Um, you know, we're, I, I'm so glad that you are still here and still in my life and still alive because we're about to go through it again. And I'm happy to have you here. Yeah. That level of companionship. Um, and then we get the door shove and we all swoon. Um, but also on the note, uh, so we're getting into Helm's Deep. We're getting into the prep of Helm's Deep. They're sending the women into the caverns. Um, and something that, again, the hints on like my education in the Lord of the Rings was so like misguided because I think another one of the most powerful scenes in this movie is the goodbyes in the caves. Like, yeah, that is the that is the cost of war that I think is incredible. Like it's, it's so essential. Like there's a version of this movie that's more like transformers where we go straight to the action, but they put this in for a big, big reason to show that there are men far too old and boys far too young being, and women trying to save their sons and save their husbands and, and just feeling helpless and, and saying their goodbyes as they may never see these people again, as they go off to win, try to win a impossible situation that they knew was impossible. And, those moments of connection and having Eowyn watch that and Aragorn watch that and then having Theoden and Aragorn, Aragorn fight about it or no, wait, no, sorry. No, it's not. That's a different fight. Um, it's, it's, the uh, Legolas. yes, the, it's the Legolas Elvish when they're fight. speaking the Elvish fight, when they're speaking Elvish. So no one else overhears them, even though like they no, know I what they're saying. They know what they're yeah. saying. Well, no, cause then Aragorn um, switches to English. He's right. like, cause he's like, they're all going to die. And he's like, then I will die with them. And it's like, Yes. Yeah. It's like, those are the things that like, and also the little wins when they're all preparing, they're just standing out there. They see they're, they're just getting ready and, and having people man their posts. And then they, the elves show up and I'm like, it's the little wins like that. Yeah. That like really make the movie, the little, the little lows, the little emotional moments, the little wins across all of the storytelling that like make the movie for me. Yeah. I agree with that. I think that's why it's so rich. Like everybody has depth mm-hmm. from the littlest. Like it's, I thought it's really smart that they have from the beginning of the film, you have uh, the audience follow the little boy and the little girl peasant yep. characters. And I think that's just like such a smart tool where you have this like connection to like a small segment of like, this group as a whole of like the mom, like sacrificing her kids and they get to find each other again. But then that boy is the one, he's the one that speaks to Aragorn. Yeah. It's the sword scene. He straight up looks like Robin Wright in Princess Bride. That little boy. There's like Uh, one shot. His hair and his facial structure. Like I was like, Oh my God, that is, that is Princess Buttercup. I just loved that. I just thought that was fun. But well, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. 
And I like how the moment with the sword is is bringing us back to this character that we've been slightly following, giving us a backdrop of the world, and also also progressing Aragorn's characterization and his ascension to who he's going to be is the fact that he takes a moment to get all these people prepared, that he will die with them, that he takes the time to give hope and courage to a young boy in that in that position. It's like those are the things that like get swallowed up when we just talk about the epicness of the Battle of Helm's Deep. Um, Yeah, which is the next and kind of last thing to talk about. Um, So I want to talk about the dude with no eye because I know this story. Please tell. I don't know it. Okay, so when they're when they first say fire, uh, when they first fire the arrows, like there's the whole misfire moment and everything like that. Yeah. Um, and then slow, shortly after that, they have all the arrows and and uh, catapults. Do they have catapults in this one? I don't. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, start firing, and there's a guy that that turns his head on an extreme close up, and he has no eye. He has like he has yeah, a he hollowed has one out eye. eye. Yeah. Um, and apparently the dude just showed up to the extra call. Like that is just a guy who had only one eye and he showed up and he wasn't making a big deal out of anything. He was just like, all right, cool. I'm going to get my costume. And then like, I think it was either Peter Jackson or someone else, like one of the line, like the line directors or anything like that saw him and went, wait, well, is that makeup? And he's like, no, this is who I am. And he goes, and they go, you have to be on screen. Like you can, we, can we put you like, front and center at the start of this battle because we just want to show like this is what this is the group that we're working with here um and i was and it's just one of my favorite stories from the making of the lord of the rings because it's like the dude just wandered in there and he got to be this moment that so many fans remember um because of you know just because he he happened to only have one eye um it's one of my one of my favorite things i love that that's a great little anecdote there's so many, I guess one of my favorite parts too is when I used to be, when I used to watch these on DVD, I don't know where the DVD versions I have of this anymore are, but we had like all the director's cuts and then we'd mm-hmm. watch after finishing all of it, we'd watch all of the special features like after the marathon and there's just so many little nuggets. But yeah, onto Helm's Deep. Uh, let's just get some of the big shit out of the way. Uh, the shield sled, fantastic moment. Um Oh yeah, Skater Boy. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Oh god, that was when that came out, isn't it? Uh that movie that Lilas. movie is 20 years old. Or that uh that uh this movie is 20 years old, but that that song is yeah. over 20 years old, dear god. Um the use of ladders in this is very fun. Um It's scary. It's still really scary seeing them like slowly go up. It's just it's very I also Fun. I also think that any moment where orcs get squished is very satisfying. There's a bunch of those um, at the Minas Tirith battle that where they just get like a good 12 of them get squished. And I know it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be a little cathartic that the bad guys get squished. Um, but that's a lot to do with the ladders. Obviously, there's the Gimli toss. TJ, did you have more thoughts on the Gimli toss? I in 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 what in what regard? Why me? You said you did. <laughs> you mentioned it before. I wanted I, to give you the opportunity. I did. What last time? You talked about it. Um. I mean, I do kind of like the. Well, okay. I don't really get to talk that much about the acting in these movies because, as as it's been pointed out, these movies are kind of dramatic. They're kind of campy at times. You know, they kind of know what they are, but. 
sometimes there are like genuinely good like acting moments of like oh I like that as an actor and I genuinely like this interaction between Aragorn and Gimli when Gimli's when Gimli just kind of goes toss me and Aragorn just gives him the look of like I'm sorry what you, you want you want to run that by me again? One more time for me, big guy? <laughs> and it's simultaneously... I can't make the jump. You have to toss me. It's simultaneously, like, being so gentle with his ego, but absolutely, like, everything else is just like, oh, I'm enjoying this. I'm loving I'm this. Enjoying yes. this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't tell the elf. Um, it's like, I think I agree. I completely agree with you. Like, this movie knows what it is, but it wouldn't work if it wasn't these, like, fucking insanely good actors. Like, most of them, like, especially, like, um, I'm blanking out. I'm so bad with names. Uh, well, Sir Ian McKellen and, like, Christopher Mm -hmm. Lee and all of these people are, like, Shakespearean, like, incredible actors. Like, watching Ian McKellen in this movie is just, like, magical. Like, his tiny eye movements and everything. And I agree with the Toss Me Too. It's, like, this wouldn't, it wouldn't work, though, if it wasn't, like, this masterful like acting and also like they spent so much time together. I think it's like a really interesting series because it's not like they like went off set and they were like hanging out in LA for a summer. It was like they were in the trenches together for years. And I'll, Um, Jenny, you won't be here for that, but I'll talk about that with the actors who play Mary and Pippin in return of the King. Like there's a whole thing about uh, them and like being not in scenes together was like hard for them. Um, mm. because they all just spent so much time doing this. Um, and yeah, so like before we talk about Theoden and like, cause this is the moment to talk about Theoden and we're just talking about like great ass moments during this battle, uh, is like, it is the look to me or look to the, what is it? Look to the East on the morning of the fifth day. Yeah. And then he shows up with Emer and it's just like one of the, one of the best moments of the yeah! series. So good. I love Gandalf so much. I love that hill. I love that hill. And you can kind of see the dating of the of the of the CGI, but I'm like, ah, I don't even care anymore. Um, it's just it's a nice it's I a think nice. It still holds up. I think it's so. It's I think so too. Um. So yeah, what what is it about Theoden? Like he makes a lot of mistakes. He makes a lot of mistakes. Um, yeah. Like, what is it specifically, Jenny, that like bothers you about him? I again, it's so much stuff of like once you're older, you start to see th- things differently with these movies you grew up on, and like watching this one today with Theoden, I was just so mad at how cowardly he was, how much cowardice. Like he just when he's standing there behind, and then he's like ugh, it's no use, like, whatever, it's no use. And, like, obviously, like, that's a prop for then Aragorn to have his, like, leader moment and then, like, get him on the horse and them charging through. But, uh, I don't know. There's just something about Theoden that's, like, interesting, but also the older I've gotten, the more and more I've just been, like, frustrated with him and find him to be, like aggravating but also at the same time it's like you need that hubris of that type of leader um and also it never comes up again in the movies i wonder if it does in the books but like 
that he's been gone. Like, he's pretty much been gone of consciousness for a long time. And then that never really comes up again. That after he, like, wakes back up. And gets just amazing Botox. Yeah. Um. (laughs) But he, like, he makes all these really dumb decisions. And I feel like some of it could be because he doesn't really know what the world's like right now. And he doesn't really know what the best decision to make is and that never that doesn't ever really come up and him being gone for so long never comes up and maybe if there was less time walking in circles before there might have been a little side scene about that but yeah well and that was actually going to be kind of my defense of Theoden is is like yeah he's been gone like I think Theoden is having uh, to juxtapose Aragorn and Theoden is to talk about the young and the old leader sure like the old leader is gonna be is often stifled by regrets and things that and while they can lead from experience that they've that they've been through wars because i think theoden at the beginning of the uh at the beginning when they finally arrive for the battle at minas tirith is a really great leader in that moment because he is like you know what we may die and i'm gonna i'm gonna be in there with you like, I, I think the things that he has to relearn happen in this movie, and that's why it doesn't come up so much in later stuff, is because, like, those moments yeah. with Aragorn inspiring him. And I think that's why they kind of defer to him, Aragorn, in the end. Because um, there could be very easily be like, a, well, Rohan's going to be Rohan. You guys can go do whatever you want in Gondor. Um, that, like, he, the, he has to learn these things through the lens of someone younger who's seen the world from a different perspective after he's been gone for so long. Um, and right. so like that, that is my kind of exact defense of him. Cause I don't, I don't dislike him. He's not my favorite character by any means, but like, yeah, I think there's some justification to, to, to him pl- being played in that way. Yeah. That's understandable. And making those mistakes and having to overcome things. Um, yeah, that's really everything I had to say about Helm's deep. The only two, the last two things I have are are very specific lines that I think are very resonant with me from the hobbits specifically. Okay. So I really like, we touched on it a little bit, but I really like Mary's realization before he goes to the end council and, and convinces them to help. Um, or at least try like makes it makes a case that then later dawns on all of them um, is when he's talking to I Pippin. I feel like Pippin's the one that changes that though. Uh, Mary has the first talk and then Pippin's the one that makes the decision. He's like, actually, let's go south. But it's Mary's journey because Mary is the one who, while they're in the forest and talking with and and watching them deliberate and realizing, you know, I think it's I think it's sometime around there that Treebeard tells them like, okay, no, we're not going to do anything. And so you can go home and literally Mary has to have and Pippin's kind of like yeah, you know what? We're just small. We can't really do anything. And Mary has to go, there won't be a home to go back to if we don't do something. Um, right. Was really something that I, I don't, I, I think before this watch, Mary was my least favorite hobbit. Um, just because he really was. I don't know what it was. Um, it was just something about maybe it's More my context. Pippin? It might have been lost. Uh, the Like the show lost that like made the actor different for me. Um, but yeah, Mary was one of my, was my least favorite Hobbit. Um, I like Pippin cause he's fun. Um, 
And I like his journey in Return of the King. (laughs) (laughs) I also think, if I recall correctly from some of my other Lord of the Rings fans, that like they didn't know for sure if that actor could sing. And so they were like, we're taking a chance on this. Uh, Hopefully it turns out well. And everybody's like, oh, that worked. Um, But yeah, no, Mary was one of my least favorite. And it wasn't until I really spent some time with this journey that he goes through in in Two Towers that I went, okay, no, this is the role that Mary fills in The Fellowship. Like Sam, Sam is, is the ox. Sam is the one where it's like, we're going to get you there. Frodo is the evil sponge. Pippin is the humor. Pippin is the fun. But Mary is the one who is like the tenacity. Um, yeah. Like he's the one who has that light bulb of like, no, of the hobbits, I'm going to take, not, not that Sam and Frodo aren't taking it seriously, but like. Yeah, this is this is very specific to his role to play in his journey. And, and it really it resonated with me this time more than I had in the past. Yeah, even in the previous movie, like when Frodo's getting ready to leave everyone else, it's Mary of the two of them. Well, technically three, but Sam doesn't know yet that like Mary goes, he's not coming. He's leaving. And he he's the one in that the moment that goes, all right, well, then we'll distract the orcs. And then obviously yeah. it ends up with them getting captured and is mary the smart the one is mary yeah. the smart one <laughs> is mary that is, really what it is mary yeah. is probably the smartest out of all four of them which i think makes him a little bit more jaded than the others and maybe that's what i didn't like about him historically is that he's a little less hobbity but well, then again watching it this way to have that realization of like no 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 you don't understand like i understand and i'm gonna do something about it I wouldn't necessarily call him Jada because he is the one partnered with Pippin, even at the very beginning. Fair, like, yeah. You know, getting in the mischief and stuff. Like, I would say he's the most clever. Like, he's the clever yeah. hobbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's also the one that has, like, I would say one of the largest arcs in the entire hobbit group. Besides Frodo, obviously. But, like, Does Frodo Mary really goes from, arc? like, he's... Does he? Who's to say? I guess, like, he's... He, he, he goes through a lot. He does go through a lot, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he. I feel like um, the the like plight of the hero of a hero's journey or the one that has to bear that always is like the shittiest of characters because like the only thing they're fulfilling is just like fulfilling the deed. So they're like always like it seems like Harry Potter, or, like Luke Skywalker, or stuff like, like that. Like, it's just like they're so weak. Genuinely of characters. Genuinely. Harry Potter does have a distinct personality that's obviously way more fleshed out in the books. Sure. But like even the even the first movie like I think more or less nailed it. The first movie nailed it and then they kind of generalize him a lot more. They they smooth with every main character in those Harry Potter movies, everyone's edges gets smoothed out because Sure. I don't know, they felt like they had to because it was a movie, but genuinely, like, Harry Potter, at the beginning, has a really definitive personality of he is a child of abuse and trauma who is a really good-natured kid who is maybe a little soft-spoken at first because everything's so new to him, but even then, like, his character can't help but come out. He's brave. He is, you know, quick to stand up for people that, like him, are being taken advantage of and yada, yada, yada. And he is ultimately, you know, he's not the smartest 
in his friend group because his other two friends are supposed to be two sides of the same coin and that they are generally more knowledgeable about him, more knowledgeable than him with everything. But Harry's supposed to be like the one that will just go do it. He's the one that's like, all right, I may not know everything. I may not be prepared, but this is what I have to do. I'm going to step up. And so it's like, I, that's kind of what they did with Frodo in the first movie, but then that's also kind of it. Like, Frodo. The thing with Frodo is like, I I guess it's hard to compare with Harry Potter because like, that's like seven, like the, the, the Frodo arc of Harry is like the last two books, like, or the last book and the last two films of like him being so like, intense with that horror crux which is like so reminiscent of frodo in the ring and like yep. t- like taking over his character and all this stuff so like i think frodo doesn't really get the time in the movies to be able to continue the like character that he had at the beginning of the first m- movie where it's like he's caught in the shadow of his like of um bilbo and he's a good kid and he's also adventurous but He's also in loves staying at home and like all these different types. Like you get more of that going on. Um, but he's so far flung. Most of the movie is he's used as a point in the film to deal with the struggle of like a soul going between good and evil. Like that's literally the tool that Frodo is in a lot of ways. And it is really compelling. Like one of the most compelling parts of the movie of the two towers for me is in the like Nazgul dragon when the Nazguls come out with dragons in this one it is epic because in the first one like they're on horses like the ring rays yeah they're pretty lame the Nazgul come out <laughs> with the, the Nazgul with that fucking like giant dragon I was like oh my god it's so scary but in the Gondor sequence at the very end where Frodo Sam saves Frodo and then Frodo like his eyes we love Elijah Wood's eyes. We love Elijah Wood's eye, eye acting. But, like, he fucking is going to kill him. And then this beautiful, super sad moment of him just realizing. He's like, because it's him saying, like, it's your Sam. It's your Sam. And he realizes what he's done. And that's, like, a really juicy moment. And, yeah, it definitely leaves Frodo with less of, like, a character and I guess there could be other ways for him to build more of that but I think it's compelling enough for this movie for him just to be like this tool of struggling between good and evil and being a floppy fish I think what's Um, frustrating is that (laughs) it often feels in this movie that the only choice Frodo makes in this movie is to keep Gollum everything else he's kind of thrown this way and that or he's influenced by the ring or like Whereas, like, he makes a lot of, he makes one very important choice in Fellowship, but he he's into the mission in the beginning of of everything, and he makes other, he and his group make choices to get away from the the Nazgul and that, um, and he makes the choice at the end of the Fellowship to d- embark on his own with and it without Sam, and Sam insists on going with him, and so like this one, it just feels like he gets herky jerked around, and he really. He really does feel that way until they're literally climbing Mount Doom. Um, 
when they're kind of yeah. at, at the at the end of the road, which I think is a frustrating what one of the frustrating things about Frodo as a hero. But my yeah. last thing is directly after that scene, and it's a line from Sam that just it hit me really hard this time around, just because of the past two years and the fact that there's a war going on right now, which is when he says, "How can the world go back when so much has happened?" And then he kind of switches and he has a realization and he says, but in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Um, And I'm like, okay, despite all the jerking around you've done with this, you know, the characters and and the way you've hopped storylines, like this was a a good bow for me because it's just good. It's just a good monologue to, to kind of finish this piece up and go, all right, now we're getting to the last leg of things. And then the great cliffhanger with Gollum finally taking full control um, at the very end of the movie and saying, this is what I'm going to do. And then they come in none the wiser and he leads them out Um, is a great cliffhanger to end this movie. Yeah. I think it was a really great ending. I, because of the most recent events and stuff had a different feeling about the monologue. I agree that it's like very good. And I always love that the first two movies end with a Sam moment. I think the third one kind of ends with a Sam moment, too. It does. Um, very, yeah, very explicitly yeah, with him and his family. The Sam epilogue, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, very optimistic because it is just a shadow. But the reality of even Lord of the Rings of the series is that they do change and that you can't go back and neither can we it's like you can't go back to the way things were you can like yes the shadow will pass but you will be in a new place where more are dead things have changed you have changed and that's neither good nor bad it just is but it was just interesting to like have that monologue it's very well said and it's very well written and it's very like moving but when he kept on saying like you we can go back i was like you can't really go back and it made me think of like Galadriel saying what she says in this movie where she's like Frodo is finally coming to realize that this journey will take him um and it's true and it's just like it's just interesting it's like a sadder take on it but well and it's it's uh yeah it's super interesting how these movies bleed together because like hope becomes a theme around the Helm's Deep moment and it runs all the way through like watching. I'll say a lot about the soldiers of Gondor in the next one. Um, like and uh, Aragorn keeps talking about like they have no hope, like we need to give them hope. There needs to be some way to perpetuate hope through all this. And Sam is the one who very much gives that to the audience and gives that to Frodo. Yeah. And that's. That's our herky-jerky work through the two towers. I know we skipped over. I feel like we flew over such large chunks just because I didn't happen to write a note about it. But like, there's so much in this movie. What else did we really skip over, though? I'm trying to think of like, we did all the Smeagol stuff. Like, we touched everything, but like, I don't know. It felt like moments where I was like, Okay, we just got to get to the next part. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, we, we skipped all over all these other things. But they were, they would have <laughs> well, been, I, guess I mean, truthfully, they would have been moments of been like, oh, yeah, that was great. Or, yeah, that was good. So, like, obviously, we have to talk about things that we like and dislike. Um, yeah. What do you guys think of the score? Oh, I mean, fantastic. Yeah. TJ? Just curious. 
Yeah. I mean, the score is probably one of the most consistent parts of the trilogy, really. It's fair. I just always have loved it. I don't know. There's just something so fun about it. But I was just curious of, like, people that... Because, TJ, I don't know your background with Lord of the Rings, but if, like, is someone that I don't know if you, if you like, grew up with it or what's your team? Uh, I did not. Uh, the first time I watched the entire trilogy was in 2020. Um... But I had seen Fellowship before, but I never quite, like, really, like, tried hard to absorb it. Uh, and with me going through the trilogy, obviously, I had to in order to really get the other two. Um, and a lot of my feelings and thoughts from the first time I watched, uh, I definitely felt come back this time around because I kind of had... I thought it was a meme. I like. I thought I was doing a bit, kind of, when I was like, I kind of have one note, and it's that this should have been a show. The movies are too long, and it's just the it just fits more as a show. And then I watched this one again, literally today before we started recording, and I was just like, oh no, it's it's genuinely because I feel episode. I feel, oh, this is where credits should roll, and then. It should be another episode. And then the, especially because yeah. it genuinely feels like we are entering a new arc of a show, introducing all these new characters and Rohan and the King. It feels like this is season two and season two is all about this new group of characters meeting our old group of characters and expanding the universe and stuff. But like because it's kind of cramming all this into three hours, I'm just kind of like... I genuinely felt myself waning over the course of the movie because it was like an hour in and finally like the king was like back to his old self and he was mourning his son. And I was like, I objectively think this is good. And then I checked the time and it was an hour left and we had almost two hours to go. And I was like, (sighs) (laughs) and then like, I knew we were heading towards Helm's Deep, and I was just like, I am so not pumped. And I kind of hate it. I kind of hate that I'm not pumped (laughs) for this. But damn, I'm like, oh. And then, and I just, tree beard. (laughs) Tree beard. And I was just like, like, oh, I I feel the structure hard. And like, I I I have a lot I have a lot of feelings about this movie and I think I said 20% of it here. Um I want to hear more. No, because <laughs> good lord we are over. But And also again, it's like if you're like this is this is just genuinely a thing with me. I always am a, I am I'm always just personally am like if I have if I'm part of a three and two of the three are really into a thing and all I have are things that I don't like about it I'm just not really gonna say anything because like it just feels weird it feels weird to be 
the one guy when everyone's like, oh, yeah, I like this. Oh, yeah, I like this. Well, let me tell you why I didn't like it, actually. Like, no, I I, I said plenty like of things that. I didn't like. I know. In another in another time, in another talk, I would absolutely love to hear that because I am certainly not the type of person. I absolutely love hearing why people don't like things and learning new things. Like, I genuinely didn't even think about the structure and like, yes, obviously this would work much better as a TV show. I didn't even think about it that way until you brought it up. I think I just always was just taking it as it is. And it makes me super excited to see how maybe that helps with the series that they're going to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like they can take a lot of nods from the golden age of television on this next series, mostly just because like, I don't know what they're basing it off of. Obviously, it's not going to be the Silmarillion um because that's I like more it's basing lore. Off of the but that's more like deep lore like that is that is like genesis in the bible if we're gonna make that loop back it's like it's like oh okay the 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 over like the the essentially the god created these different beings and then those beings created like certain like powerful objects and then one of them was like evil and so they cast him out and then the evil one created this thing and then God created elves and they were his favorite. And he also created man to be like flawed. And then like the evil one took the elves and then turned some of them evil and made them into orcs. And like, it's all just lore. Um, And so like, I'm not entirely sure that that's what they're going to play off of. I really, I do really think that they're going to take maybe threads of like stories that, because there is a whole other I looked up just because I am this kind of a nerd. I looked up maps of Middle Earth just to be like, oh, hey, cool. Where are they tracking? And they have interactive maps of Middle Earth where you can essentially click on a character and you can see their map, like their path drawn in every which way, including yeah. Bilbo and Thorin and people from The Hobbit um, and see like where is the Lonely Mountain compared to Mordor and things like that. Um, but there was an entirely separate map in that interactive thing that I didn't even, I don't even remember any of the names of it, but like it's a different, it's like south of where middle the, this part of Middle Earth is um, with a completely different set of things and a bunch of other characters that it tracks through. And I'm like, are they telling that story? Is there like other supplemental material I don't know about? Like I truly, I truly don't know what they're going to do with it. But I don't see a world in which they could do anything shy of a series like a like a six to nine part series of one hour episodes um well does anybody have any lasting thoughts on lord of the rings the two towers nada i don't think so you said it all everything that there is to say about this there's no need for academia anymore no more english literature we're done sorry english grads (laughs) okay tj take us out Send your diplomas to the uh, ritualistic burning. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's not get Republican on this. Like, All right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let us know what you all thought on social medias. You can find us at Red Team Pod on Twitter and Instagram if you would like to, uh, you know, let us know what you think. Uh, as always, you can... Uh, you can also listen to episodes of the pod on redteampod.com as well as wherever you get your podcasts, of course. And uh, we would like to uh, once again thank uh, the lovely Jenny Lee House for coming out, coming out, coming on again and discussing thank you, thank Lord you. of the Rings. Um, Anytime. <laughs> is there anything you would like to plug while you're here? Jenny and I got a project oh, baking, a sh- but... Yeah, we have a project baking, but I also... Um, it's not coming out yet, but 
I found out a week or so ago that I have a short story that's going to be published at Columbia. I go to Columbia University and they have a literary magazine called Quarto that my short story is being published with, which is super fun. I never had any of my work published before, so. Congrats, Jenny. That's awesome. Thanks. I guess you can find it on their website, Corto. Um, I think it's like on their printable one. So I don't think people would be able to find it, which is probably for the best, but it's, it's making my heart happy. So I think you told me about this one. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, that's been Lord of the Rings two towers. Uh, if there's nothing else, then I, of course, as always have been TJ Patrick and I'm a natural sprinter. Of course. Of course. That's very fitting on multiple levels. Uh, and then, Join us next week as we close out the trilogy with, of course, Return of the King. But will he actually return? Find out. Uh, (laughs) Until next time. um, Back to the shadow. I don't know. (laughs) Take your hobbits to Isengard. Shadow facts.